0: Alright. Good morning. Good morning. You want to try the thing again? He is risen. risen. Alright, you're awake. Good, good. Alright. I'm gonna ask you a question in a moment that I know you already know the answer to, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Do you know what it is that we're celebrating this morning? Of course you do, right? Of course. I know, I know you know the answer. It's what we've been singing about, right? We celebrate the empty tomb, and the risen Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about those facts, but I want to talk about the why behind that in a minute. Before we get to the why, I want to look with you at some of the historical facts we have as to the truth behind the resurrection. We have eyewitness accounts, testimonies that have been written down from people that saw and heard and touched and felt. And so I want to read that with you this morning as to the facts of the resurrection from Luke 24. We're just going to look at at 12 of the verses together and then a bit more and a couple of the other Gospels. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. Luke writes as a historian, talking to eyewitnesses, going around, interviewing people so that excellent Theophilus could have an account as to the things that transpired around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Luke writes, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. So this is after Jesus had been placed in the tomb. He was crucified, placed in the tomb. They go to the tomb. Verse two says, they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Now real quick, I just want to stop for a second. Wes shared a video with me from a guy named Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City. Him and his wife were being interviewed and I hadn't really thought about the, the reality that the stone had been rolled away in this way until I watched this video. Do you ever think about that? Why is, this, is the stone rolled away? And here's what I mean. We know from other parts of the Gospels that Jesus can just like, I don't know, float through walls. That's how he does it too. It's like this. <laughs> he can float through walls. He can, he can go into rooms that are locked. He, walls Tombs. they aren't a thing. So why in the world is the stone rolled away? It can't be to let Jesus out, right? No. It can't be to let Jesus out. So why is the stone rolled away? It's to let us in. It's to let us in, to test and verify the truth so that men and women could go in and could see the empty tomb and the rags there, that that someone didn't just take Jesus' body. If they would have taken Jesus' body, they would have taken all of him in the rags, but the rags are still there, which means he he did the floaty thing through the rags, right? (laughs) He floated through them, so the rags are still there. You see, God does not expect you and I, he does not expect you and I to have blind faith. He does not expect that your faith should be unreasonable. Unreasonable. It's reasonable to trust and believe because God has given us facts that can be tested and verified. The tomb was empty. Men and women saw it. The grave clothes were still there because Jesus passed through them. Again, in the same way that he passed through the locked doors. He also showed himself to the disciples. He showed himself to over 500 witnesses, we're told, in one of the other historical accounts. We're told that Thomas... Thomas got to feel the spear-pierced side of Jesus and put his hands into the hands and feet where the nail holes were in Christ's body. Hundreds of people, not just the 12, hundreds of people testified to what they saw, to what they heard, to what they felt. And many of these same witnesses, many of them died for the accounts that that they gave. Let me ask you this. Would you die for a lie? Would you die for a lie? Chuck Colson is, was a, a pastor. Before he was a pastor, he actually worked for uh, Richard Nixon in his presidency. Chuck Colson was one of the 12 who was involved in the cover up for the Watergate stuff. Do you know what he said? He said, Do you know how long it took for us 12 to, to break from our story, to break from our lie? Three weeks. Three weeks. We all turned on one another to save our own skin. But the disciples? The disciples were willing to face gruesome deaths, hanging on a cross, being burned alive. One of them was boiled in oil, the Apostle John. Again, would you die for a lie? The stone was rolled away so we could verify the truth of the testimony, that Jesus' body was not stolen, He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, but this strength that we see in the disciples, the willingness to go even to death to uphold the truth, this strength that we see in them later is not what we see in them in this passage. I want to keep reading with you, and I want you to notice the incredible weakness on display. Verse 2 of Luke 24. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, they're fearful, afraid, weak, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be crucified, and on the third day must be raised from the dead again. And then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. Judas has hung himself at this point. They told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. And look at the weakness of the apostles, verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Do you see the weakness? Do you see the weakness in these verses? It's striking to me that angels show up. Men dressed in clothes like lightning, we're told. they, They remind the ladies of what Jesus had been saying. He'd been telling them, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, just like Jonah was put into the belly of the fish for three days, so too I'm going to be put into a tomb. And three days later, I'm coming back. He's told them time and time again, explicitly, the angels have to come and remind them. And the, the ladies, they're catching on, but they bring it to the men, to the disciples. And it sounds like utter nonsense to them. Peter's curious enough to go verify the scene for himself, but still his conclusion is, yeah, Jesus did what he said he was going to do. No, it's he wondered to himself what had happened. Confused. Weak. The story continues in Luke and in the other Gospels. Jesus, we're told, rises from the dead, and he continues to seek out his people, his chosen, hand-picked people, his disciples. And what do the, the best of the best that Jesus chose? They weren't actually the best of the best, but they were chosen by Jesus, right? What's their response? They cannot consistently wrap their heads around the truth. We see time and time again human weakness that meets the compassion and strength of the risen Lord. In John 20, we see as Mary is still by the tomb, she's weeping. She is weak, broken. She's empty, alone. She's just wanting to embalm her friend, her Lord's body. She's fallen back onto her strength. You See, she's, she's been the caretaker in the group That's what she's good at. And so again, even in death, she's seeking to take care of her friend and Lord. She wants to embalm him. And in her distress, in her weakness, she misses Jesus. She can't see him. She thinks he's a gardener. She questions him. Where have you taken my my Lord? Where have you taken his body? The risen Christ is standing before her and she can't see him. What weakness? Then in Luke, Jesus comes across two men walking on the road to Emmaus. They're talking about the recent events. They're confused, disillusioned, relying on their own power of mind, their own ability to reason logically. What has happened? Jesus was their guy. He just rode in on a donkey and the whole crowds were praising him. He was going to set them free from the powers of empire. And now he's dead and buried. They're confused. And Jesus comes along, but they don't recognize him. He overhears their conversations. They're reasoning out, what's happened? We thought he was it. We thought he was the guy. We thought he was the Messiah. And listen to the words of Christ. He says to these two weak men, how foolish you are. How slow to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? The Lord has been telling us throughout the centuries this is what's going to happen. For thousands of years, he's been prophesying this is what's going to happen. And he explains from Moses and the prophets and all the Old Testament. He opens the scriptures to them and reveals to them it's happened just as he planned. There was no wrench in God's plan. It went exactly and according to His plan. But they don't know. They don't understand. They don't see Jesus. They don't see God himself standing in His midst, in their midst, until Jesus opens their eyes. What weakness? And then there are the disciples. Where are they guys during all of this? Well, for starters, they deserted their friend in his greatest time of need. Peter was especially disloyal, right? We know before the rooster crowed three times, he denied his friend, even knowing him, not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know him. I don't even know him, he said. Pretty weak, if you ask me. And now the disciples, we find them cowering in a room for fear behind a locked door. Again, how weak. But Jesus seeks him out. He appears to them in that room on a couple occasions. Thomas, we're told, isn't there the first time. And he comes and the disciples say, we've seen him. He's alive. And Thomas says, unless I touch the wounds, I won't believe. Doubt. Weak. And what does Jesus do? He pursues and seeks out weak, doubting Thomas. He says, Thomas, I heard you. You can hear all. Come here. Give him a feel. Put your hands in my wounds. Even still, all this is happening. Jesus has appeared to them multiple times and the disciples cannot in their weakness of mind and in their feeble faith, they still can't make out what God is up to. And so what do they do? We're told in John that they fall back on their strengths. Peter, perhaps so crushed by his failure to be a loyal friend, the dude gives up. He's seen Jesus a few times, and what does he do? He goes back to fishing. Jesus had called him out of that occupation. He said, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. And then he spent three years showing him what that looks like. And Peter fails miserably, falls on his face. And what does he do in his time of weakness? He falls back onto his strengths. I don't know what Jesus is up to. I can't make sense of any of this. Guys, let's go fishing. That's one thing we know how to do. They head to the boats. The fish, once again, not for men, for fish. What weakness, church. It's despicable. It's disrespectful. Disgusting weakness. They should be ashamed of themselves. And they were. But Christ Jesus was not. In spite of their weakness, precisely because they were weak. Jesus seeks out his friends, his followers, his children, and he he, he seeks them out, and he releases the strength and power of resurrection upon them. You see, church, that, the, the, the what of Easter is easy. Jesus is raised. Hallelujah. That's easy. It's a fact. It's easy to celebrate. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. But why? Why? The facts of Easter are easy to celebrate, but the why behind Easter is sobering. You see, until you and I embrace the sobering reality of our utter weakness, our emptiness before God, we will never be able to celebrate or enjoy the results of Christ's resurrection. The tomb that is empty Is meant to symbolize our lives apart from Christ. Full of rags, grave clothes. That's us without Jesus. We have nothing. We can do nothing apart from the resurrection power of relationship with Christ. You see, here's what I'm telling you this morning. Here's what Easter tells us Christianity is a crutch, it's a crutch for the weak and the wounded. It's a crutch for the weary. Christianity is a crutch for the hurting and the humble. It's a crutch for the empty. I find it a little bit ironic that when we speak about crutches, right? When we speak about Christianity being a crutch, we, don't, we hate that. We hate that. Oh, it's a crutch. Don't be weak, right? Have You ever seen a lady like this on crutches? Someone who, who physically needs them? You ever had any objection to that? We don't. There we go. Right? You ever think when you, when you see a, a young, maybe high school gal, fractured femur, shattered all over, wobbling around on crutch, you think, what a loser. What a loser. What a piece of garbage. Why don't you man up, little lady? Right? You go over, you rip that crutch out, suck it up, buttercup. Right? <laughs> of course not. Who would do such a Only a psychopath would do such a thing, right? So what's so bad with a crutch when it comes to Christianity? Well, Crutches are for cripples, and ain't nobody wants to see themselves like a cripple, do they? That's offensive to us, to suggest that we might be weak, that we might not have it within ourselves to fill our lives with meaning, to find happiness, to find our passion in life. It's offensive to suggest that humans, that Americans especially, That we might not have what it takes. That as hard as we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, all the strength we can muster will never be enough. Church, did you see the weakness embodied in the friends of Jesus? They had nothing, they failed miserably. Their brains were too small, they were too afraid. When Jesus stood right in front of them, in their fear, relying on their own strength, they couldn't even recognize him. See, friends, only when they emptied themselves did they truly see. Only when they embraced their weakness, when Peter gets out of that boat, says, I'm done relying on my strength Sure, I know how to fish for men, but I'm done relying on me. And he sees Jesus on the shore, and he jumps out. And in his utter weakness, he throws himself upon his Savior. And what does Jesus do? His love covers him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus knew. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I know I'm weak, but you know my love. Yes, Peter, I do. And you know my love is enough to cover your weakness, your denial, your betrayal. You see, church, only when we empty ourselves will we truly be able to experience the joys of the resurrection. Only when we learn to esteem ourselves no longer. You don't need more self esteem. You're not a unique little snowflake. You're not. You are weak. You have nothing apart from Jesus. And only until we recognize that will we be able to truly celebrate and enjoy the truth and power of the resurrection. Friends, you don't need more self-esteem. The kingdom of heaven does not belong to the strong or to those with really, really high self-esteem. No. The kingdom of heaven does not belong to the rich or the powerful. It does not belong to those who are successful or gifted. The kingdom of heaven does not belong to those who refuse to mourn the poverty and weakness of the human spirit. No. As Jesus said in the Beatitudes, only those who mourn only those who learn to mourn the poverty and weakness of the human spirit. Only those who mourn will be comforted. Only those with a pure heart, meaning only those who understand the human's heart weakness. Only those with a pure heart will see the risen Savior. Think with me about the strong for a minute in the Easter story, right? The powerful, the productive. The politicians, the important people, the success, successful folks by world standard. Think with me about those who are full of themselves. They had really high esteem. You should listen to me because I'm a fancy pastor and I'm, I got all the clothes and I look good and presentable. You should listen to me. I'm important. Hear what I have to say, right? They're full of themselves and their achievements. The Romans, the religious leaders, did they see God? Did they experience God's presence or the joy of resurrection? No. They killed him. And then they tried to cover it up. Think about that for a second. They killed God. They buried him. And when he rose from the dead, they tried to bury him again. Friend, I don't care what you do in this life, what I do in this life. On our best day, our best efforts, our greatest intentions, All our giftings, our successes, they mean nothing apart from the death and resurrection and relationship with Jesus Christ. Your work, my work, apart from Jesus, is like grave clothes, rags, meaningless. Ecclesiastes tells us our lives are meaningless. They are an utter vapor before God. If we live only for what we can do and achieve in this life, Ecclesiastes says it is fleetingly fickle. Here today, gone tomorrow, meaningless, vanity, a vapor, empty as a grave. We don't have what it takes, friends. The question is, who does? Who does? Who can save us from our weakness and failure? Who can save us from our sin? Who will treat our wretched weakness with compassion and grace? Church, nobody but Jesus. Who will offer strength when we are weary? Who will offer us forgiveness time and time and time again when we fail? Nobody. Nobody but Jesus who else would welcome the company of hurting and helpless? Who would dare to seek out those who've lost all hope? Not us. We hate those people, right? Weak people, we don't want anything to do with them, even though that is precisely who we are. Who else would offer healing to those whom the world has hurt and have lost all hope? Nobody but Jesus. Who else could multiply hope and freedom as easily as he does fish and bread? Who else can turn our dusty old religion into a brand new relationship? What kind of a man would claim to be God in the flesh, but then allow that same flesh to be torn apart? What kind of a man would embrace betrayal, insults, torture, mockery, and death? And live to tell about it? Nobody but Jesus. Who could speak with such authoritative words and yet drench them with compassion? Who could be strong enough to still the storms and yet gentle and lowly? Who could allow the hands that created the universe to be nailed to a cross? Who could choose patience despite deserving immediate and complete obedience? Think about that, parents. Who could choose patience despite deserving immediate and complete obedience? Who could be blameless and without fault, but still endure the judgment that others deserved? Nobody. Nobody. But Jesus. Who else will love us like Himself? Who else will be with us when all others leave us? Who promises to comfort us in our suffering? Who can take my anxiety and turn it to peace? Who else can reassure me when my mind is drowning and depressed? Who else will accept me just as I am, but love me too much to ever leave me there? Who else can turn the grave into Easter morning? Nobody. Nobody but Jesus. Church, when the devil comes to you, when you fail again, And you will. When you feel lost, empty, confused, anxious, when your fallen mind whispers to your heart, to your mind, when you hear those accusing words of condemnation, you are weak. You are empty. You have no right calling yourself a child of God, a Christian. What a failure! When you hear those words of accusation whispered in your head and in your heart you tell that ancient foe you are empty. You're right. I am weak. My life is devoid of anything that would merit the love of Jesus. I am empty. But Satan, so was that tomb. So was that tomb. God in His sovereign grace has chosen to set His affections upon me, not because I'm strong, but precisely because I am weak. And the King of heaven has promised that my weakness, when I embrace my weakness, when I acknowledge my weakness, when I come to Him empty of everything, when I no longer esteem myself, when I call upon him for help instead of relying on my own feeble strength, then the king of heaven will empty that tomb and bring the strength of resurrection to bear upon your life. In your weakness, he says, I will be strong. When you are not, I will be your strength. (coughs) Friends, is Christianity a crutch? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a crutch for cripples. Now hear the words of our risen Lord Jesus, all you fellow cripples, and rejoice. The Lord Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for those who pretend like they have it all together. Nope. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus didn't come for those who think they are righteous. He came for those who know They are sinful. So what do you say? How about together we take up the crutch of Christ and acknowledge our sickness this morning, church? Let's together come to the great physician and be healed. Hear this, friend. You are empty. But praise the Lord. So was that tomb. Esteem yourself no longer Embrace the emptiness and come to Christ. The tomb was empty, so our lives don't have to be. And know this when you learn to embrace your weakness and empty yourself of yourself by coming to Jesus for help, there ain't nobody who's going to love you like Jesus. And that, church, is why we celebrate Easter. Now, what do you say? Let me pray. And then we're going to sing one of my favorite songs together. The band can come up. I'll pray for us. Father, nobody wants to think of themselves like a cripple. Nobody wants to think of themselves as a beggar. We despise those people, if we're honest. The people out in front of Walmart holding the sign, they should get a job. They should man up. They should go provide for themselves. They should be strong. And yet the gospel, Easter, tells us we are those people, empty beggars before you. I pray, Father, that we would not be offended by that message, but that we would embrace it. Embrace the reality that we cannot, that we have not, that even on our best day, the best we have to offer are grave clothes and rags. And Father, I pray as we turn in that repentance and acknowledgement of our sin that you would pour out the joys of resurrection and love upon our lives. I pray, Lord, as we're about to sing Ain't Nobody Loves Me Like Jesus that as we sing the truth of those words would move from our head into our heart. We would realize our utter emptiness, and in the same breath be able to celebrate the reality that that tomb is empty and Jesus Christ is risen for our joy and his glory. We pray all of this in your most holy name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.